This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It's like a head-on car accident. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. And you can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. Hey, hey, welcome to the Blue Bomber Podcast. I'm Greg Mackling. Doug Brown is here. And, of course, we'll get you up to date on all things Canadian Football League, focusing on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We're going to talk about Deron Carter. What the hell is Chris Jones doing over in Saskatchewan? Maybe it's a good thing. Where does Deron Carter land? Johnny Menzel. A little bit better this week. We'll talk about that. And, of course, we'll focus on the Blue Bomber game. Their last home game Friday night against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And we'll take a look ahead to their game this coming Friday night against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Let's get her going. So, Doug Brown, why don't we start in Saskatchewan? Because you and I both love to hate the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. What the hell is Chris Jones up to in Ryderville? You know, right off the top, my take is that Johnny Cash look he does with the all black and the button all the way up. I think maybe the button on top is a little too tight because it is restricting the blood flow to his brain. Uh, Either way, it's a fail. It's a huge fail, right? Because it's not like you're surprised by what you were getting. Were you surprised by what you are getting with Jerome Carter? Right? Mm, like he's nope. got that, that history of, you know, maximum two years, any place he's at, moving on, moving on, uh, you know, testimonials from player after player, guys saying all the way, it goes all the way back to college, right? So no big shocker here. Um, you know, all these details are starting to emerge now. He wasn't playing offense because offense couldn't stand him, I suppose. Uh, that was the thing. He got into it with uh, the, the offensive coordinator, assistant head coach, so that's why I was playing defense for the most part. Everyone was that was a head scratcher for most people. You know, why is he not playing the place he was a two time all star at? So, and as a defensive player, you know, he was contributing, he was good, but he wasn't at the same level. So I guess they just had no use for him. They move on. But either way, like I say, you can't be surprised. You know, if you're Chris Jones, it's still a failure you have to wear because you knew what you were, you thought you could flex on this guy. You thought you were a powerful enough figure that you could handle him, that you could curtail him, that you could reel him in. But you know what? turns out he's the same guy no matter where he's playing kind of thing. So this is where you, you cue up that Mike Singletary um, uh, diatribe where he goes, can't coach him, can't win with him. Vernon, Vernon just uh, it was something that I told everybody at the very beginning of the week. I will not tolerate players that think it's about them when it's about the team, we cannot make decisions that cost the team and then come off the sideline and it's nonchalant. No. You know what? This is how I believe, okay? I'm from the old school. I believe this. I would rather play with 10 people and just get penalized all the way until we got to do something else rather than play with 11 when I know that right now that person is not sold out to be a part of this team. It is more about them than it is about the team cannot play with them, cannot win with them, cannot coach with them, can't do it. I want winners. I want people that want to win. There we go. There we go. (laughs) And who was Mike Singletary talking about that when he was the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers? It wasn't Terrell Owens, but it was a wide receiver. And we will dig up that audio. super prolific with the 49ers for a while but uh, Singletary had to get rid of them and it's funny these things apply you always 
every so often, you know, in, in either league, there's always a player that has is uber talented, has supreme athletic skills and abilities, but he just doesn't get it. He just doesn't, you know, he just thinks he's special and different and apart and the rules don't apply to him so on and so forth and uh it's a booby miles booby miles effect you you remember that from friday night lights booby miles in there you know in the weight room everybody's working out and they're like hey man why are you working out he's like it's god given i don't need to right so there you go that's all right don't worry about it here we go that's slot right. Hey, you ain't got to worry about holding on to the ball, man. Why is that? Because you ain't going to get the ball. Your job is to be blocking for boo. I don't care if your daddy is over there crying. You can talk. Shut up, do you? Here's the, the bonus, Miles effect. Here's the bonus part of the Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. Uh, I don't know if Doug will answer this on the air, but I know he's got to answer it for the podcast. Give us one name of one player who was like that that you played with over your career, whether it was here in Winnipeg or in the National Football League. Wow. We'll have to revisit that because you need to think about that. Had you prepared me coming into this off the top, my God, who was like that? The booby my I mean, you want to say... Charles Roberts, in the sense that he didn't have to train, but he wasn't, you know, even Booby Miles of Friday Night Lights. All, all the, all the players liked him. Like they didn't, you know, they probably resented certain things about his training regimen. But you know, Charlie Roberts, uh, for the most part, was was a light guy on the football team, but not a lot of uh, extra work put in after the fact. Getting up, you know, no showing up early, no staying later. He was there one minute before things were starting. He was there one minute after things were done, kind of thing. And uh, the best guy to have on the on the podcast to talk about that guy would be Lamar McGregs because that, that was kind of his. His, uh, his secret service, you know, the guy that kept him out of trouble and, and tried to reel him in a little bit. But Charlie was loved for the most part by by uh, a lot of guys he played with, but not necessarily. Uh, you, you have to wonder, you always wonder what he left on the table in terms of potential uh, because, you know, had he refined and, and gone after and trained and da, 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 da. you know you have to wonder you always wonder what you could have become so i think at every level we have someone we played with i played with someone exactly like that who could have been very good for a very long time and probably on the professional level but we digress and uh just want to point out lamar mcgregs number 36 i don't know if anyone looked better in a winnipeg blue bomber <laughs> uniform he was an absolute statuesque model and looked outstanding in a blue his, bomber his arms uniform. are still that big Last Are they saw, really? Oh yeah, he is not let up on that that fantastic uh, gun show thing he's got going on. <laughs> so remember, I used to say, uh, what did I say to Derek Armstrong once, uh, former wide receiver for the Bomber? I used to call him like the. I say you're the nine million dollar man. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like that's how much money you left on the table in the National Football League by not getting after it in terms of your training regimen. Oh, so. I bet you loved you for that, Doug <laughs> Brown. So uh, Deron Carter, of course, the son of Chris Carter, who one of the most prolific receivers in uh, National Football League history. It's got to be frustrating for his dad because his dad probably knows how much talent uh, his son Jerron has. Where does he land? Well, first of all, I think Jerron is actually a little bit like his dad. His dad is not exactly the the most mild, meek, and soft-spoken uh, guy. He's, he's had his brushes with, uh, with infamy and notoriety, certainly. Uh, he's gotten himself in a few situations that are uh, regrettable, that's for sure. So I don't think the apple falls too far from the tree in that Managed regard. To stay with the Minnesota Vikings for nearly a decade, right? Yeah, that's yeah. the only difference, perhaps. Well, that's that's all production, right? Right there. So, um, where does he land, though? Wow. I mean, everyone's talking Montreal right now, and Montreal, Montreal needs everybody. 
right? So you might as well just go there, you know, for a second time. Though it's just like, <laughs> yeah, wow. Like, who's gonna? Is Sherman gonna rein him in there? Like, it's just. Do you expect anything any different now? No matter where he goes, so it's just kind of. It's kind of sad when you see teams line up like that that are just willing to throw the locker room caution to the wind when it comes to the locker room dynamics and and chemistry um, just to try and squeeze one last uh, iota of of uh, you know difference making change making ability just to add that to the football team well we know that that's why Adarius Bowman left Winnipeg the first time around was that his ability and his athleticism wasn't matching up with the way he acted on and off the field and unfortunately when he came back to the Blue Bombers this year it did not work out and he finds himself in Montreal will Duran Carter eventually be a teammate for Mr. Bowman and Johnny Manziel Manziel we'll talk about in a minute because I do want to talk about the Blue Bombers and the way they managed to win that game Friday night and uh, we should insert the audio here from that caller Rob from the post game show on Friday night who suggested that the Blue Bombers need to move on from Matt Nichols because of his lack of production. I think uh, the Bombers got to look for a quarterback. What? Um, I I would bet my house that Nichols will not take them to the Grey Cup in in the next five years. He just made so many bad decisions. When he threw the ball away in the fourth quarter, I do apologize. I'm calling for Calgary, but regardless. um, The number, uh, the Bomber who is number two, wide open, five, six yards down the field, didn't even see him. They end up throwing, throwing the ball away. How many two and outs did they do? You know, it's just the long ball, even even the uh, the TV commentators were commenting on the fact that he just kept going long ball and, and two and outs. They, they just have too many two and outs. They shouldn't have lost the BC game. They lost it in the last minute or two. They shouldn't have lost the Edmonton game. They should be like seven and what? Seven and two right now? Or, or, or what? Well, wait a minute. Let me just let me make sure I got this straight here, Rob. Are you blaming the BC loss on Matt Nichols when the when the Bombers were stopped in short yardage twice with Chris Strebler in the game? Is that what you're doing? Well, no, but they shouldn't get there. It shouldn't be that without without Winnipeg's defense, which I believe is possibly one, if not two, to Calgary. Without without Winnipeg's defense, they're a 500 club at best right now, I believe. Okay. Well, listen, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I, I can tell you that around this league, Matt Nichols is greatly respected as a quarterback. This team's record since he took over as a starter is quite remarkable, and any suggestion that the, that's that area of their team is a problem, I this is me now. I totally reject. I mean, I just think that's nuts to say that. Now, it was not a Picasso by any stretch of the imagination for Matt Nichols. He struggled at different times in the game. He did move the ball when required, including at the end of the game, that five-minute, eight-second drive to keep the ball out of the hands of Jeremiah Mazzoli and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But let's get real. Matt Nichols is the quarterback and will be for the duration of this season and seasons to come, as as far as we can tell. Foreseeable future, right? Right. Yeah, you know, you're you're playing the most important position in pro football. Uh, Your record, I think, right now is 25 and 10 in terms of wins and losses. With you being at the helm, you touch the football in every single play, and uh, you know it's not 
only about what Matt Nichols does. It's also about what he doesn't do. And uh, even when he has off days where he's not playing his best football, he doesn't hurt this team. He doesn't blow up. He doesn't turn it over kind of thing. You know, Uh, he's just not overly prolific sometimes with his passing numbers. But, you know, he's at the helm of the number one scoring offense in the CFL. And you're like, oh, well, you know, the run game and and yeah, but that's part of the offense that, that he's directing, you know. If for the um, most part, Matt Nichols wasn't able to perform in the passing game, Andrew Harris, as well as he runs, would not get the room that he gets. Yes, the offensive line does outstanding work and creating holes for him. And Harris is as athletic as he's ever been. It would seem he might be even getting better at th- 31, but let's face it, defenses have to respect Matt Nichols and his ability to throw the ball downfield. Otherwise, you don't have the top rushing game in the CFL. Fair? Yeah, well, you saw that game against Toronto where Toronto was like, screw this. We're taking Andrew Harris out of the game, who was 41% of their offensive production in, in that one game against Toronto. So they're like, this is not happening again. So what did Matt Nichols do? He distributed the football to some six different receivers and four other people ran the ball and they won handed right so um, I think he's a very smart guy I think he processes very fast as, as much as they say the run game opens up the pass game the pass game does the same thing for the run game kind of thing and it's just it's so I don't know you got to be looking to be unhappy about something um, if your football team is five and three now and and what is Matt Nichols as the start of the season three and one or something like that and three and one 25 yeah, and 10 25 and career. 10 uh, you know since he's he took the reins from from Drew Willie right and it's uh yeah you know he doesn't go and, and pass for 300 yards every game but he doesn't need to and that's not kind of the offense they're in right now right it's not they don't uh, overemphasize when they're so balanced, right? It's not just about, hey, we, we got to go throw the lights out of this football. No, it's they're a very balanced offense. They distribute the ball very well. And I also think that, uh, you know, Matt Nichols, he's not throwing uh, to the even the top three group of receivers in the CFL either. I don't, I don't think that bunch out there is you know, an overwhelmingly dominant group, uh, you know, especially now Dressler is hurt as well. I think they're good, um, but it's not like they're all home run hitters either, right? So I think the offense, like you just, why are you complaining about any part of the offense right now? It just, just besides myself, just because, you know, your quarterback isn't putting up uh, unbelievable uh, numbers week after week. I mean, they're winning, they're scoring points, they're leading the CFL. The system is working and he's a very big part of that system. So let it be. You mentioned uh, 300 yards. It's sort of a threshold for uh, an outstanding game for a quarterback. Jeremiah Mazzoli had thrown for 311 of 12 games. The Blue Bombers held him to 251. We've been talking so much about this offense. We started to talk a little bit more about the defense in our last podcast, Doug. And uh, Jovan Santos Knox right at the top of the list. What he did in their previous start, 10 tackles and three quarterback sacks. But the star, the glue of that quarter of that defense, rather, is the quarterback of the defense your middle linebacker and adam big hill absolutely proving his worth game in and game out yeah he was just dominant in the game against hamilton watching him play i mean right from the get-go like the first time they tried to run the middle and he just came downhill and just absolutely you want to talk about you know laying the wood on somebody just stuck that guy right and causes the fumble just a perfect form tackle he's low to the ground he's explosive he 
looks to initiate contact. Uh, you know, he can get off blocks. Things I learned about Adam Big Hill in that game against Hamilton, he can pass rush. He's very uh, adept and effective as a blitzing uh, add-on to that package. Um, you know, so many things he does well. It's incredible. We've seen him, um, obviously, play against uh, the pass in terms of coverage as well, interceptions he's got, touchdowns he's got, so on and so Got a nose for that football, and uh, he's just been an incredible catalyst, I think, for this defense. Got quite a few sacks in my career, and, uh, you know, I love getting after the quarterback and rushing the passer, and, um, you know, I'm glad I had the opportunity to get after it tonight and, and really uh, throw some rushes out there. You know, the, over the last two years, we're talking, you know, if you go back to Matt Nichols and that 25-10 and 10 record, the recipe for success for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers has been offense wins, special teams wins, Defense throws in a few turnovers and gives up more yardage than the PGA and, Tour. And right? holds on by the yeah, skin of their teeth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now, you know, um, I, I, my story about this uh, in the free press is now, it looks like that recipe's changing now, you know. And they say, um, the more different ways you can win a game, the more games you can win. Right. And so now it was a different kind of story. It was a different recipe against Hamilton because the offense didn't have their best night, but they won because the defense was awesome and the special teams was, was great. So, you know, Medlock's punting and, and, and all that. And the, the cover team was just aces. Right. So so now they're they're like, oh, whoa, or our offense doesn't even have to be firing on all cylinders. And we can, you know, now the defense is able to assert itself and stand up and be counted for and put their mark on a football game. It's just, you know, they're so balanced. And you go through, I went through the statistics in the CFL. This defense is, you know, number one, interceptions, number one, sacks, uh, number two, uh, points against average and it's it seems like just the other day we were fielding calls in week three about Richie Hall has to go and this defense is terrible and here we are now we're at the halfway point of the season and the only defense that is better than them are the Calgary Stampeders that are absolutely crushing people defensively but you know I watched that game against Hamilton and uh, when they just had their regular offensive line in five blockers you got your center your two guards your two tackles they could not block the Bomber defensive line, five on four. Could not do it. That's three one-on-ones. One guy gets double teamed. Those three one-on-ones, they're, they're winning. You know, you have to do something. You have to account for those guys. Can't do it with five blockers. I, I'm going to go as far to say that's something I'm going to be looking for going on a weekly, week-by-week uh, week basis is whether teams have to keep a back end, a chip, or they have to bring a, an extra offensive lineman as a tight end to help out. Which because, Hamilton had to do. Yeah, because five on four, they were killing it. Yep, you know, against the run and the pass, and uh, these guys continue this dominant play. It's just, it's so awesome to see, you know, this team. You already talked about how balanced they are in offense, and special teams has always been consistent. But now the defense, they're pulling their weight, and now they're able to, hey, when there's some slack from one of the other phases, they can pick it up now and run with it. And you know, they won against Hamilton on Friday night because largely of the efforts of the defense. They'd gone four straight games surrendering 20 points or less. They gave up 23 on Friday night. Hamilton really shot themselves in the foot with all sorts of horrible discipline-type penalties. Uh, they extended Blue Bomber drives, and one of the only times you'll ever see two penalties enforced on the same play, you had a P.I. against Hamilton pass interference as well as a roughing 
play. So you had a PI, and then they threw. It was because of where it was, uh, half of the distance to the goal line for the Blue Bombers. That's how bad it was at times for Hamilton in terms of their discipline. The Blue Bombers, one of the more disciplined teams in the CFL. Finally, that mantra from Mike O'Shea about being disciplined is starting to seep into this team, and they're playing very well. I know we discussed Nick Dembski uh, almost ad nauseum over the last couple of weeks. 56-yard kickoff return, which set up the Blue Bombers' answer to the Hamilton's first touchdown, and then he had a touchdown of his own later on in the game. This guy's just doing special, special things. Yeah, we put out a tweet uh, during the broadcast. Dembski knows returner. Dembski knows receiver. Dembski knows running back. Dembski knows football, right? Bo Dembski, right? Um, uh, He's just, uh, you don't want to say utility player, but you can just, you can put him anywhere. He's a plug-and-play guy. Mm -hmm. He can be effective in a game-changer. He just brings different uh, dynamics wherever he slots in. But I can't believe you stopped talking about the defense, though, man. I'm just... I'm still in awe of their performance. I, I think they're playing fantastic this year. And I think, uh, you know, I think it's largely been overlooked because of these factors offensively that we're talking about, Dembski. And, and uh, we, we've kind of overlooked the accomplishments and, and the things that the defense has been able to get done at halfway through. People are definitely going to come out and say, oh, they played all these Eastern teams, right? And and there's a sense of, of, uh, of truth to that because in the second half, there's going to, you know, if they can... Uh, replicate what they did in the first half against all these Eastern teams and still be the same defense against the Western teams that they're going to be playing largely in the second half of the season, then uh, then there's no denying. But, uh, man, do, do things look great for, for this football team because of the balance and because now they're playing complementary football across the board. Blue Bombers hosting Ottawa Red Blacks this coming Friday night at IGF. And the Red Blacks and the Bombers with identical 5-3 and three records, how they got there, not necessarily identical. Ottawa has one of the better quarterbacks in the CFL in terms of yardage through for well over 400 yards against Montreal this past weekend, Doug. But the Ottawa Red Blacks and the Blue Bombers, I think, are the two teams now that are saying, hey, we're the second best team in the league. And they're going to decide who is the second best team in the league. Because Hamilton, I think, thought they were going to be in that conversation had they beat the Bombers Friday night. Bombers brushed them aside, hard fought as it was. This is the battle of the the two next best teams. Are they not uh, coming well, I think, up Friday? I think, I think Edmonton's still in that conversation, right? Uh, even though they lost to BC, um, they have beaten Winnipeg this year. And, and Hamilton's also... You know, they're in the mix because they split with Winnipeg as well. So uh, I always put an asterisk when the best team from the East comes over and play because mm-hmm. they're the best in the East. But yeah, five and three, five and three. Uh, they're playing pretty well. They've uh, really had to pull some games out at the end, uh, the games I've seen that Ottawa's played this year. And and Trevor Harris is uh, it's just, I don't know. To me, I'm still not... Sold. You're not sold, hey? It's just, I don't know. You, you can't, until you get that consistency where you know what you're going to get from a quarterback right. game without even worrying about uh, the matchups and who he's playing and the defense, whether I don't have that, you don't have that security, I don't think, with him as your, as your quarterback yet. Um, he's certainly capable, but uh, he's not a guy that, that you have an assumption about the way things are going to go when he enters a football game. But yeah, it's good to see uh, a matchup like this at home. Uh, teams with identical records, so obviously the only winning team in, in the Eastern Division, and just I, I'm curious to see the momentum that is built up here from uh, the input that the fans had on the last game, mm, right? And, that, and the procedure calls at the end of that game, and the noise, and it wasn't, you know, it was what just over 26,000 people there, so still got tons of room before you sell out. 
but the noise in there is just and seeing how it disrupts the other team and the offense and all of a sudden add another five yards on add another five yards on with a procedure call you know a penalty 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 it's just amazing especially in critical moments it just goes to show you how you have a, a loud boisterous uh, passionate fan base like Winnipeg does here how it can affect and give your team that advantage those small little advantages they need critical moments in a football game you know hats off to the Bomber fans and for that noise, securing that win as much as the defense did sorry Doug the, 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 the noise is authentic as well right like there's there's seems to be some genuine uh, love affair uh, being uh, created between the Blue Bombers and their fans so we hope to see you out on Friday night we have to uh, cut it short here but before we go, we do have to talk about Johnny Manziel. He was a little bit better against Ottawa this week. What do you think? Well, I think as soon as you you know you say Johnny Manziel, I think that guy was knocked the hell out on that QB scramble where he was trying to go into the end zone. You watch that slow motion. You watch when you get it's rather horrifying, hit, is what it you is. You see him fall to the ground, and you're like, aren't there supposed to be spotters or proactive people now in 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 pro football where you're looking for these kind of things and you're ensuring that this player is not immediately reinserted into the football game? I mean, I'm sure he. Um, was given some sort of basic examination, so on and so forth. But you watch the replay of that. He was lights out in terms of unconscious by the time he hit the... You see a guy, just the way he falls, right? Uh, he's running full speed. He, he got caught a shoulder to the, to the head, essentially. And uh, he just shouldn't have been in that game going forward. But it looks like, you know, he's, he's having those incremental improvements and uh, you have to wonder, I mean, it would probably be a different story if he was playing in this offense with this offensive line and this running game. Sure. It would be a, probably a much shorter learning curve yep. uh, for we Johnny saw, Manziel. Well, we but, saw it with Chris Trevler, right? But uh, in Montreal, you know, he has the task of not only getting himself acclimatized to the Canadian football game, but he's also got to elevate the play of everybody else. He's got a terrible offensive line. Uh, his running game is okay. His receivers are, are, are not very good. The offensive system... Sorry, Carhe Jones is not very good right now. And so he's got more things stacked against him in this deck um, than than you would otherwise uh, hope for a guy that is, you know, doing the hardest thing in, in sports, which is adjusting to a new game. But he is, you know, as I said, incremental improvement so far. And I think it just highlights how good the CFL, the Canadian game really is. These, these players that come from the National Football League who think they're going to tear it up and they get here and they go, gee whiz, I have some work to do here. Lots of work to do for the Blue Bombers as they head towards Friday game against Ottawa. Uh, Doug, uh, no reason to believe the Bombers won't be 6-3 and three when we reconvene next week, fair to say? Yeah, that's a good half. Good uh, first half of the season on pace for 12-6. and six. I, I would definitely count on them beating the Red Blacks, especially with the kind of mojo they got going on at home right now. Outstanding. Is, as you say, three is a trend, and the Blue Bombers have won three in a row. Thanks for visiting us. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for sharing. And most of all, thanks for subscribing to the Blue Bomber Podcast. Take some time and rate us. We'd love to continue to be rated the top CJOB podcast. Thank you for your time, and we'll see you next time right here on the Blue Bomber Podcast. Thanks, Doug. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. 